Hey everybody, this is the Brewed Up Apologetics podcast, where we aim to look at and think about the world biblically through the lens of craft brewing. So grab your favorite sipper, whether that's a beer, coffee, kombucha, whiskey, or even just a soda, with me, Tyler Henry, as we begin to allow Jesus to redeem the culture and the world around us through sound biblical thinking and apologetics. So today's episode is a little bit different than the episodes that are going to be up on this this podcast. It's not a strictly philosophical approach to apologetics or historical approach to apologetics or even scientific approach to apologetics. I did bring elements of each of these into into today's sermon, which is that's what it is. It's it's a sermon that I had the opportunity to preach yesterday at the church that I grew up in. And it was an insane privilege to stand behind the pulpit of not just the church that I grew up in, but of the pastor that poured so much into that church as well as into my life. And I was so blessed and honored to have that come full circle. So we took the time to explore this whole concept of why God matters and why God matters in, in a society and a culture that tells us either God doesn't matter or that all gods are equal and they all matter. So what would that look like as, as Christians? You know, I wanted to challenge this congregation in, even though they are a little bit of a, of an event of an advanced age, I wanted to challenge them to, really try to live out, you know, why, why does God matter? And if he does, how does our lives, how do, how do our lives show that? So sit back and just enjoy my first sermon. You know, I am privileged and honored to be able to share this with you. So if you have any critiques and you feel that you would like to comment on, on this podcast, please do so. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you thought I did. And I'm open to the criticisms. You know, this is my first sermon, like I said. So I'm not claiming to be an expert in public speaking. You know, that's the hard, the, or the easy thing about being a podcaster is I can go through, record, and delete whatever I don't want, or I can edit and mix however I want if I if I say something wrong. But when you're at a when you're speaking in front of an audience. You don't have that that opportunity, so please, I'm I'm actually asking you for for these criticisms. So, like I said, enjoy it. It is insanely awesome to be back, um, and it's good to see some faces that I haven't seen in a while, and faces that <laughs> that you know that I haven't seen before. And it's good. I love absolutely love meeting people, um, and it's been really been really good to, to come back into Jersey Shore. I don't really venture down this way much. Um, everything with, with work has been up in Williamsport, so it's always good to come back to, to where it started. Um, 
and it, it seems like it was just the other day, I was talking with Jane earlier, um, that we were in middle school, I was down in, the, in her Sunday school, and then when Dave took over in his Sunday school class, or like in Charlie's office for youth group, and then even like during that time in that pew, right over there, uh, waiting to play, at then it was two songs, um, and those two songs were the highlight of my Sunday. Well, okay, hold on. They weren't the highlight of the whole Sunday, just the Sunday morning, um, because there was this tradition that we had in, in the Henry household of, of pizza after, after church on Sundays. We'd make homemade pizza, which I don't know of many families that just take it upon themselves to make homemade pizza every Sunday because it can be very, a very long process if you're making the dough from scratch. Um, but that's also one of the perks of having a, a father who worked at Park Pizza for the, the better part of 15 years. Um, so I do miss the, I do miss the, the pizzas. So, um, but yeah, so, so, much, so much has happened since the time that I was in high school to, to now, and I figured it'd just be, it would just be fitting to give you a little bit of an update of what's going on. Um, and like Charlie said earlier, you know, I'm like, never expected to be standing behind this, this pulpit, um, especially after, after Charlie, you know, as I was preparing this, it, I realized very quickly that I was standing on the shoulders of giants, and, uh, and one of those giants is sitting right in front of me. So, you know, thank you, Charlie, so much for, for everything. Um, but, you know, just since I haven't seen you, uh, currently my wife and I, Taylor, she's in the back, um, uh, we go to church at, in, in Williamsport at City Church. And both of us, we serve there in different capacities. She's a, uh, she works with the kids every so often, and then I, I, I'm still playing. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I'm still playing music on Sundays. I'm, in a, I'm not playing guitar anymore. I'm playing bass. Um, nobody apparently wants to learn that instrument. So if you know anybody, please tell them, encourage them to play, play the bass. There's not many. Um, <clears throat> and then I'm also the, the pastoral assistant. So I do what Tina does every week on Wednesdays, and um, oh my gosh, the amount of stuff that we have to do is ridiculous. <laughs> As uh, coming into it over, during the course of the, the, the pandemic, I, I really realized quickly how much goes on in the church, and much respect for the pastors and the lead pastors. Um, so, but what happened before before then, from the time that I, you know, high school to, to now, um, graduated from Lock Haven, and then had this really, really big, almost like a, almost like a life crisis. I wasn't sure where to go. Um, I didn't graduate with what I expected to be graduating with, um, and I had this, this call, this feeling to, to go into into full time ministry. But I wasn't exactly sure what it was, what it was, or what it would look like. Um, but I found this love for a specific discipline within theology called apologetics, and we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and right after graduation, I started going into, I started graduate school in 
in Southern California. Thankfully, I don't have to live there. Um, it's all online, and that's the beauty of technology. Um, you know, I started pursuing a, a master's degree in Christian apologetics. Uh, and within the next few weeks, I'm actually going to be starting to work with some college students through an organization called Ratio Christi. And we're going to be working through some of these some of these bigger issues in life that not many people want to deal with. And, you know, as college students, they, they're thrown so many topics, you know, within their, within their classes and just being, with being on, off by, on their own, there's all of these things that just pop up and they need somebody just as much as the rest of the church needs um, to help walk them through life. Um, and then I'm also going to be graduating in, from Biola within the next, this actually, this coming semester is my last semester, so thankfully it'll all be done and I can read whatever I would like. And that is something that I'm very much looking forward to. Um, but if you don't know, apologetics is one of those really weird things. I'm not making a, a career out of saying I'm sorry, um, which, you know, it's, it, comes from the from a Latin, sorry, not a Latin, but a Greek word, um, apologia, which just means the rational defense of any position. You could have a Muslim apologist, you could have a Jewish apologist, um, but in our case, it's Christian apologetics. And you know, Peter calls us to this type of defense in in one of his letters when he says to be ready to make an honest and gentle defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. And it's, it's honest and gentle, and that's the hard part, is being honest and gentle with something that you know with such certainty that you just want everybody to know it. And you can be so crass and just like thump them over the head with the Bible and hope that it, hope that it works. But uh, as we all know, I, I don't think that that gets through to many people, you know, it hurts, and then the pain receptors t kick in, and we kind of shut down. Um, but at the same time, in the, we live in a, in a post-Christian culture, and God, especially the God of the Bible, is seen as this hate-monger, warmonger type, type guy. And being a Christian is, to the, the secular world, no longer a viable option because it, it just preaches hate, 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 hate. But that's not the case when you actually look at the Bible. Um, and there's, a, there's an atheist philosopher, um, he was a French philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, and he kind of encapsulated the, the current climate in, in the modern world when he said that man is nothing else but what he makes of himself that man is nothing else but what he makes of himself. Basically, he was saying that our perception rules the day and that whatever we want to be at any point, in, in the, at any point during, during our, our life, if I, want to, if I want to be a rat today, then I could say I'm a rat and I could start acting like a rat and I am a rat. Um, but... The thing is, that's not how, that's not reality. We are humans, we are biologically humans. And, but what Jean-Paul Sartre was getting at was that truth is found within us. 
There's no way to, to get to an objective truth that the only way to know truth is to look not out, but look in. And from the Christian perspective, in the Christian worldview, that's the exact opposite. There's no looking inward with the exception of seeing how dirty of a sinner you are and then how much you need a, a clean lamb to be a sacrifice before God. And um, those things are two completely opposite ways of looking at truth. And if we take, if we take it as our, as our truth, if we take our truth, then what Paul said in that, in that passage in 1 Corinthians is, makes it completely and utterly pointless. The faith that we have is pointless if we look only in ourselves. But if we look outwards, that's when the Matthew 28 verse, or Matthew 28 passage, comes into full full circle, and it, when he calls us to be evangelistic and calls, to make us, calls us to make disciples of, of everyone, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the, the big question is, why should we do that if it is only our truth? So I think part of the reason why we tend to lean towards this, it's called relative truth, which just means that what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. We tend to lean towards this because the objective side of truth, which is external truth, it's hard to swallow. It makes us uncomfortable and we can't control it. But if we can't control it, then we don't want anything to do with it. And the, the uncertainty that scares us. We don't like it. Personally, I don't like it either. I'm sure Taylor would, you know, as I'm getting ready to work with the students, I'm sure that she's seen that. You know, I would like everything to fall right into place and have everything go the correct way. But it's that uncertainty of stepping onto, or stepping into a field of which I've never worked in, which I've never had to be a missionary before, and working with students that I, it's been five years since I graduated college at Lock Haven, so even though I, I see them on, a, on just about every Sunday, it's totally different from, from them being acquaintances and friends to ministering to them and being a, like basically like a pastor to them and a disciple, like a discipling them. It's such a different thing in that it scares me, to be, to be completely honest. Um, I, I don't really feel worthy of being able to do something like this. And I think just on a global scale, we, we've kind of come to a, a really good realization of this whole, this whole concept of objective truth and how uncomfortable that makes us feel. Um, you know, in, in March, whenever the coronavirus hit Pennsylvania, no one knew what it was at first. No one knew how to control it. We still don't really know how to control it completely. We know that secluding ourselves is one way to do it, but from a medical standpoint and from a scientific standpoint, we have absolutely no idea. And there's, for the secular world and for many, many of us really, even within the church, that's scary. So what did we do? We shut down. 
entire states and entire nations. And for us Christians, this is the, the part where, you know, the apologetic side comes in because it's sometimes it's a little crass, crass, sorry. And, but, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a guy, uh, he was a, he's a famous politician or a political commentator where he says that facts don't care about feelings. And as, as Christians, the fact of the coronavirus shouldn't have rocked our faith. It should have just, or it should have only rocked our faith. They shouldn't have completely dismantled it. The coronavirus actually doesn't have the ability to dismantle our faith. Our faith is not only within, within our hearts and within our minds, but it, it's based on the reality that God is real, that, that Christ died on the cross and resurrected from, from the dead, and that we can enjoy that same resurrection with him after he returns. And our faith doesn't depend on the virus. It doesn't depend on the health and prosperity of the Christian. It depends solely on an external God that is sovereign over the entire universe. Everything is his. So I just wanted to set set the stage a little bit and put it into perspective just how, how our faith needs to be grounded in something externally as well as it needs to be internally felt with us um, and how life with God should, should bring us to, to peace and, and give us ultimate value and purpose. And those, the ultimate value and purpose is what I want to focus on today. And C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, <clears throat> he made a, a, a Another publication called Mere Christianity, and thank you, Charlie, for, for giving me that. Um, it, there's a quote in there, and C.S. Lewis writes that if Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. And he wants to point us to the understanding that if Christianity is true, it's worthy of pursuing to, to its fullest extent and by whatever means possible. Christianity points us to Christ, the Son of God who is God himself. He, it points us to an external source of truth, not to an internal source of truth. So Christianity helps us make sense of reality. Christ helps us make sense of reality. He gives our life meaning. And when David's son in, in that passage in Ecclesiastes that we read, and when he says that all is vanity... He's cluing us in on, on the fact that the life without God is utterly meaningless. There is no point to life if there is no external source of truth. And then later on in that same book, he writes that God has set eternity in their heart. All men. And all men are working towards something, whether they acknowledge it or not. And the fact of the matter is, life doesn't make sense unless we're working towards something. So, when I was in high school, sitting down here in this pew, I was you know, playing in the worship band, and I had this 
crazy looking guitar. Um, part of the reason why I, that why I had it, and I'm sure some of you remember that one if, if you were here back then, um, had all these sharp jagged edges and had this crazy looking body shape. But part of the reason why I had, had that guitar was because it would draw attention. And not that I was trying to be attention seeking, that, that wasn't my, my object, but I knew that it would draw attention to, to me as a guitar player and ultimately with what I wanted to do with, with, with playing guitar. And that was to, to, to be in a, in a Christian heavy metal band. And I knew that if I got that brand and that style of guitar, that it was not just a reputable name within, the, within heavy metal, but it was also a it, was a, it was a good brand. It was, I knew it would, if I ended up having to go on tour or something and a whole bunch of sweat or I cut myself, like I knew the guitar would stand, would, it would last. Um, so my dream was to play in a heavy metal band and I would lock myself in my room and practice for hours. I'm sure that Playing the same song for about 10 times probably drove my parents nuts. Um, I, the, I didn't want to do that. I didn't really expect or try to, to make them go crazy. The whole, the whole purpose of that was to be, was mastery. I was working towards mastering the song so that not only would I, <clears throat> would I have another song under my belt that I could just kind of play whenever I, whenever I wanted, but it would also help increase my skill to potentially audition for, for a band. And fast forward a few years, uh, in 2000, 2018, the, I did audition. And I got in. I was, uh, it was a band that had a good deal of minor touring experience, and after sending them an audition video, I, I got in and was asked to join. Unfortunately, but Taylor would say fortunately, uh, I never actually got to play with them. Um, and I was actually just talking with, with the, the lead guitarist of that band the other day, and you know, I was saying how bummed I was that we didn't, that I never actually got to play, and he's like, yeah, but you know, Life goes on and we have nothing to do with it but to move forward. Um, but there was this goal that we had, or that I had, in, in playing guitar. And it was to get to a band. And at that point, as soon as I hit the band, got in, even if I never played a show or a concert with them, I accomplished my goal. I was in a recognized band and that's all I care about. There was a goal in my work and practice. There always has been and there always will be. And without God, the, without God, the work that any of us put in is completely pointless because we aren't working towards anything. And the absolutely amazing news is that because God does exist, we have something to work towards. But what, what would happen? What would life be like if there was nothing? It would mean that 
we're the byproduct of a whole bunch of random particles that are moving randomly, smashing into each other randomly. There's no meaning to the end product. And at that point, the end product of these smashing particles are us. And if they have no purpose, then what purpose can we derive? So, to put it into per to put that into perspective a little bit, there's a I couldn't tell you the mathematician that came up with this example. Um, I heard this through listening to a bunch of lectures when I was in when I was at Lock Haven, and he had, he came up with this ex this probability example, and he of these blind particles. So imagine imagine yourself in in the middle of a Boeing junkyard in Tornado Alley. Let's say it's Kansas or something like that. You can pick a state. Everybody has different preferences with states. Um, I've never been to Kansas, so we're going to go with that one. Uh, and all of a sudden, an F5 tornado touches down just just below just below this this junkyard. And as it passes through the junkyard, you know we would expect to just throw plane parts all over the place, but it doesn't. As it passes through and gets to the other side, in the middle of that junkyard is a fully assembled, fully prepared to fly Boeing 747. All it needs is to be fueled up and taken to an airport. And all it has to do is hit the throttle and go. The odds of that happening are far greater. They're far greater than random smashing particles producing intelligent life. So randomly smashing particles that produce a human, an intelligent human, has no more inherent value than the speck of dust I swept off the floor of our kitchen this week. So what we see when we go all the way back to the first few pages of the Bible, the sixth day was a little bit different than the rest. I don't know if, you, if you've ever noticed this, but there's an insert of just one word. Humans were created on the sixth day. And it was very good. All of the other days, they were just, they were just good. But... We are special, and we are specially made. And what makes us special is that we were created in the image of God. And this just exemplifies the natural law that we all feel about humanity having this value and meaning. We're, we're experiencing that right now to kind of pull something in from, from current culture. You know, all of this stuff with the, with the racial tension that we're, we're experiencing right now. We are all hurting because the sanctity of human life is so high that whenever one of us hurts, you know, we were just watching a, an episode of, of Criminal Minds last night, and Derek Morgan, who is, who is the black member of the team, his wife, is, his wife and their, their son, are, their lives are in danger. And Spencer Reed came in and said, 
or no, it was, it was JJ, I'm sorry, not Spencer. JJ comes in and says, when one of us hurts, especially when one of those is, is a baby, we all hurt. And I think that speaks really, really well into the value of human life. That we do have meaning, we do have purpose, and we do have value. Because we are made in the image of God. But, you know, if we flip quite a few pages from the beginning into, into Matthew chapter 6, we, we see Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's responding to the worries of life. You know, that could be anything. But it's very clear that compared to the rest of creation, you know, the, the grass of the field, the birds, everything has what it needs. Jesus draws our attention to the creation because we are creation as well. But he says, he's implying that we are infinitely more valuable than those creations. And if those creations are taken care of, how much more are we going to be taken care of? And to make this, to make this even clearer, Jesus, despite having pleading with the Father in the garden before, the, the night before he died, he was asking, and he was asking his Father to allow the, the cup to pass from him. But at the same time, he willingly went to the cross. For you, for me, and for everybody that would come to place their hope and their trust in Christ and accept that gift of grace that is the cross. Jesus took it upon himself, death, pain, because we were worth it. And that, that reminds me, um, kind of bringing back a little bit the, uh, the heavy metal references, um, brings me to one of my favorite vocalist and favorite lyricist from a, from a Christian band. Uh, it's a Christian metal band. Um, and Maddie, Maddie Montgomery, he, he kind of broke out on his own for a little bit and he had a, he was very into poetry and spoken word. So he ended up creating his own, his own spoken word poetry album and it was absolutely fantastic. I... Could re- can, I remember this day as if, it, as if it were last night. So the whole poem from, from, this, from this night was coming from the perspective of having a vision with Christ. And that's one of the beauties of poetry is you don't have to actually have it come from your perspective. You can create this scenario. So Maddie was creating this scenario of having a vision and experiencing Christ. And as he continues to recall the vision, he makes, makes it a point to mention the honesty that he heard in, in a man's voice that was speaking to him. And at this point, he had no idea that it was Christ. The voice, that voice, it was Christ. And... He was saying it in, 
as the pain of the crucifixion and the curging set in, it is worth it. It's worth it. That you are worth it. And one of the beauties of having a lock on my door is I could lock myself in my room and let the tears flow. And I, I remember, like I said, clear as day that I heard that and I, I started crying because the reality set in that I am worth it. But at the same time as a human, that, that made no sense. I didn't understand that. But because of God, we, we have this, we have worth. And because, of, and because of Jesus, we have worth. And without them, I'm just a bundle of carbon, water, and water that has no idea where my random atom collisions are going to take me. I have no idea what I'm going to have for, for lunch at this going away party that we're going to after this. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, which might be true, but <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't say with, with confidence what I'm going to do if I'm just a bunch of random smashing particles. And, and Paul said it really well in that passage from 1 Corinthians when he said that if Jesus didn't die and rise, that our faith is not worth it. The hope that we have in Christ is not, not just because he came, but because he rose from the dead. And in an increasingly dark and secular world, that's the news that we all need to cling to. A mass of random particles that are colliding together doesn't get us very far and finding out our worth. So we can see that we do have worth. And where does that lead us? That leads us not, not internally. Our, our vision and our hearts aren't turned in on ourselves, but they're turned vertically. It points to the creator of the universe and the creator of us. And this leads us to the next question of whether or not there is a point to the lives that we live. If we have worth, is there a point to it? And there's another atheist, uh, Bertrand Russell, who gained a lot of traction in, in years past. And even now, he's get, he still has a whole lot of, of push and pull within the atheist community. And even though he passed a couple, couple years ago, when he said that unless you, unless you assume God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And again, we see with David's son, his words come into the forefront. All is vanity. And what Russell is is basically saying that without God, the question of life having purpose isn't even worth asking. And to be honest, as, a, as someone who does read a whole lot of atheist philosophers and atheist scientists, um, it's really reassuring to hear an atheist say, 
unless God exists, there is no reason for asking the point of life. So without God, life has no point. But with God, life has a point and a purpose. So if we look at it from, from a creator-created creator created vantage point, a creator, he creates something to help benefit himself or those around him. There's a purpose to the creation, even though the creator more than likely didn't have to create this creation in order to actually fulfill whatever need it does fulfill. He could... I mean, we didn't need to invent the, like, an excavating machine. We could have just grabbed a shovel and went to town. Um, but luckily, God gave us the, the gift of science. So we have the ability to use our intellect to make things a little bit easier for us and uh, save our hands and from the blisters. Um, but the same can be said of God. God doesn't need, or he did not need to create because he was already completely fulfilled and in community within the Trinity. But God did create something. So it must have a purpose. The purpose is to glorify him. Granted, you know, God was in full glory when he created the universe and like many of man's creations, they didn't have to be created in order to fulfill the purpose of glorifying God. But he did. He did it so that his glory can be fully displayed. And that's the purpose of life. To glorify God in a physical, material way. The catch is it's only by the grace of God that we can do that, but it's still a physical and material way of glorifying God. So what does it look like if, if he does not have an impact in life or for that matter exist? Well, a few years ago, again, I'm horrible at remembering these references. Um, if you ask me to quote the Bible, I could probably only quote you three verses, and one of those verses is John 3.16. But I I did hear a story, and it's about a student who was at the top of his class. He was so good at what he did that there was, you basically could have just given him 100 on the test or the project because he was going to ace it. But because society and culture told him that to succeed was to get to the top. He made it his life's goal to get to the top of this field. But when he got there, he found nothing. And as a result, he felt like there was nothing else to live for. So he took his own life. Now, how many times do we see that in pop culture? Influencers like Robin Williams, 
taking their own lives because they feel like there is nothing else to live for. Despite their success and popularity in bank accounts, they feel like they have nothing else to live for. But that's the beauty of, of coming into the family of Christ is we do have this thing to live for. We, we do have this meaning and value and purpose that we can say, I live because of God. And when Paul said to live as, to live as Christ and to die as gain, he meant it. So Robin, Robin Williams, he, he had by society standards everything. But he really had nothing because without God, we, we struggle to make sense of life. Without God, all of the things that we achieve in life, they don't really amount to much. Because life without God has no meaning, purpose, or value. God is the Alpha and the Omega. And we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of, of the Alpha and the Omega. And in the Greek alphabet, that's the beginning of the alphabet and the end. Charlie would be a little bit better of a reference for that because I don't know Greek. Um, that's on my bucket list to check off. But, you know, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle and we're striving towards the omega, towards the end of life, towards the, the ultimate glory, which is being in heaven with, with God, glorifying him and praising him for the rest of eternity. He's already gone before us as the alpha in creation and to pay for our sins. Now, we need to strive for the omega, the eternal glory that was of him who has gone before us. Now, before, before we go out into the week, um, I do want to lay a few questions for you just to ponder as, as you continue in normal life. How much, do, how much significance does God have in your life? If God was willing to send his son to the cross to pay for your penalty, how much meaning and purpose does that give your life or our lives? And in light of that sacrifice, what kind of sacrifices has God been calling you to make for the sake of his glory? And to piggyback off of that question, is there anything you need to, to relinquish to God so that others can see that, you know, why God matters? So, you know, as we, as we take the offering, I just, you know, this is that time to really ponder as we sacrifice part of what we are given through, through our jobs and through, through what God has blessed us with that we are to be good stewards over. How, this is a sacrifice that we do make. So as you're giving, making this sacrifice, continue to ponder those questions and just stay quiet for a little bit and, and pray.
and ask what God has, has asked you to give up. So whenever, whenever you're ready. God, thank you so much for, for everything, really. You know, we, we, we don't deserve it. But the beauty of it all is that you, you came to you came to this earth and you told us that we were worth it. And that we're not just a bunch of clashing together atoms. That we have meaning and purpose and value in life. And God, I just ask that as we, as we go from, from here to, to, to normal jobs, that we, we continuously be, be thankful for that, that sacrifice. God ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to my first sermon. It was, it was an honor and a privilege to, to preach to the, the congregation that I grew up in and as well as to you. So remember to stay thirsty for God's word and be responsible in its application and uses in our lives so that we can be confident in sharing our faith with those around us.